glad that you've joined us today. We turn after a call to worship to the Word of God, and we go looking for truth and grace for the journey, and so we will do that together now. If you'd like to uh, have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible and like one, raise your hand, and one of the ushers will hand you a Bible. I'll direct you to the, to the spot where we'll be spending some time in a few minutes, and also, if you're on the aisle and there's a basket near you, would you please grab that? And It's underneath the chair, and um, hand it down the aisle. If you'd like to pass on your, communi- your contact information, uh, please feel free to fill out a card. And when we receive the offering later in the gathering, uh, you can turn that card back in. This will help us to stay in touch. Also, if you have a prayer request or a need that, um, and you haven't found another way to connect with the right person, please fill out a card and we'll get to that. All right. Good. Good. Well, I want to tell you a story this morning. Uh, to begin, a couple weeks ago, my family and I, and my brother's family, and my four sisters and their families, and my parents, we were all driving to Santa Cruz, to the beach near Santa Cruz. And we've done this almost every year since I was 10 years old. The first time it was like five or six people, and we camped in a camper. Uh, this year is like 31 people. We required a little more space than a camper. We love this week. We look forward to it all day long. The last few miles of the drive are south on Highway 1, and it's usually full of traffic. And so we roll the windows down, we go real slow, and um, out of necessity, and we try to smell the ocean, try to redeem the the traffic, right? Can you smell the ocean? Um, And the kids are excited, and we're excited. It's always a really happy time for us, full of anticipation. A couple weeks ago, I'm driving south on 1, and I'm crying. And uh, it was such a surprise to me. I mean, it just came out of nowhere. I was surprised by my own emotion, and I'm, like, wiping my tears out of my eyes so I can see, and I look over across the van to my wife, and she's crying. And my kids pick up on it, and they say, what's wrong? And we told them the truth. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Why are you crying? And it's because after listening to the, like the same few CDs that are in this automatic changer in my wife's van for like a thousand times. <laughs> you know, you can only do Gypsy Kings so many times, right? It's over and over, and we're done with it. So we dug underneath the passenger seat, we found this old CD case, and we pulled out the CD, this old Fernando Ortega CD we haven't listened to for like 10 years. And we put it in the player, and we replaced a few others, and it's the one that came on first. And in a bit, like the fourth or fifth song on the disc begins to play. And initially, I'm not even aware of the song, because it's just background music. And then slowly, the images in my mind begin to change, like the screens and the visuals that are just always playing in your head. They begin to change uh, for me. And gradually, I go to another place, and I go to another time, and these memories just start flooding in. And my throat tightens, and my eyes begin to water, and I I start crying. Uh, Songs can do this like nothing else. It's like music has this ability to sort of sidestep the front door of your mind, of your rational mind, and sneak around to the back door of your heart and gain access without any permission. And a song can carry emotion with it, and it can just carry that so faithfully, like it serves up the same emotion, just fresh, 
time after time after time, and it's totally personal. You, see, you feel this intensity that you experienced a long time ago, but you feel it almost just the same now, and it's just because of this song, and a song that would move you would do nothing for me, and a song that would be very connected to emotional issues for me would maybe not do anything for you. I remember as a little kid asking my mom, um, why, uh, is Alan here today? I don't, there we go. Yeah, why my Uncle Al would cry um, when chestnuts roasting on an open fire would play. (laughs) Um, It seemed like it happened every Christmas for a bit. Uh, Like the song expressed something. I don't know what, I don't know. But it care, the memory was breathed into life for him. And, uh, and it carried this emotion that for him apparently is just beyond words. And so it, like that song just juked out his brain and dove straight to his heart and just burst out with authentic feeling and emotion. And it could be the elementary school Christmas program, but you look down the row and there's Uncle Al just with a tear coming down his face. So I'm crying as I, I'm driving south on Highway 1, and I finally realize it's because of this song. It's because of this song. It's an old song by an artist named Fernando Ortega, and it's called If You Were Mine. And he recorded, I found this out much, much, much later. Just recently I found out that he wrote this song after he and his wife Margie adopted a little girl, and then several months later, through a series of confusing and very unfortunate events, uh, somehow the biological mother changed her mind. And, um, and he wrote this song. And uh, I just want to play it for you. It's just three minutes. But um, I thought it'd be helpful to hear it. Can you play it, please? When my heart is troubled David, go ahead and advance the slides and with the lyrics, please. I am down. Then I like to think of how this lonesome world would be. If I could see your face or hold you in my arms. If you
would sing of love on the blackest night. I would sing of God and how His goodness fills our lives. I will sing to you till the morning light. If you were mine, if you were mine, I would sing to you till the morning light. If you were mine, if you were mine. So the season in which, uh, the season of life in which Carmen and I were just listening to a whole lot of Fernando Ortega was just a couple years into our marriage. We'd become pregnant and our baby had a genetic disorder, our little boy, our first son, and he died during um, labor. And so whenever we heard for this Fernando Ortega song, we would think of him and this unrealized longing that we had for him. Um, and, and what was interesting is this was 16 years ago. 16 years, that's a long time. And yet, uh, this song still grips my heart. And uh, it's like the song can just bypass the strong gates of the rational mind and get right to the heart and just seize it. Why is that? I think it's because... Songs don't just come from our minds. Songs come from our hearts. Songs and poems and prayers, they're not just intellectual, they're emotional. And if they're good, they're not polished. They're raw and they're real and they're messy. And so for the next few weeks, I want to reflect on some of the ancient songs that are included in the Bible. Do you know that along with religious history and religious rules and admonitions and warnings from prophets and instruction from the apostles, the Bible also includes a whole book of songs. They're called the Psalms. They were prayed. They were often sung or chanted. They often have little headings at the top of the Psalms um, what kind, to tell you what kind of song they were or are. What instruments to use? Like Psalm 76 says, use, this, use stringed instruments for this song. Or um, what tune to use? Like Psalm 75 says, I, I just found this a couple days ago, to the tune of do not destroy. <laughs> so somebody writes, David writes this psalm and he's like, so uh, it's a familiar tune, you all know it. I just put some new words to it. Let's strike up the band. Yeah, can you guys do that song, do not destroy? Great. Okay, here we go. Two, three, four. Here's what I want to, here's why I want to head to this direction as we wrap up the summer. It's because all year long, so far, we focused on doctrine and on instruction. We spent 20 weeks in the Apostles' Creed, and then we spent seven weeks on some teachings of Jesus, and this is so good and so important to understand what Christians believe and to be challenged to obey Christ, to think rightly, to live righteously. But here's the other part of this experience of, of Christianity. The, it's the real-life struggle. Uh, of living the truth in a broken world. In other words, there is a shadow side to every Christian belief and every Christian virtue. And by that I simply mean that there exists for most people, most of the time, most Christians throughout history, seasons of real struggle 
when belief is difficult, when joy is challenging, and on the shadow side of real faith live other realities like real doubt and real difficulty and discouragement and real despair. So here's the thing. Most of the time, you can't navigate through the shadow side of faith with more airtight arguments, with superior theological uh, expression. Usually you don't think your way out of the shadows. You sing your way out. You sing your way out. An older friend whose husband died recently, and she said that since he died, uh, there's this old hymn that she learned when she was a little girl. And it's just, it's just she hasn't sung it in decades. Decades. And somehow, in, in her deep grief, uh, this old hymn has risen to the surface uh, of her soul. And this is how she's been navigating through the shadows of loss, by singing this song. I remember going to Josh Unfried's, been a part of our church since we started. I went to Josh Unfried's mother's funeral about 10 years ago. It was huge. A lot of people shared stories and memories and words of instruction and encouragement. And then towards the end, Josh's younger brother got up. And he, he, he just did this. He just got up and he said, this is a song my mom used to sing to me. And he sang it. I want to invite you to consider this. Maybe the way to navigate through the complex modern troubles is with ancient prayers and songs from the Bible. Maybe when we go and go, man, what's the perfect text to go to when I am in pain? Maybe we don't look at a, a propositional argument. Maybe we don't look at a multi-step process. Maybe the perfect text is an image-rich prayer. Maybe it's a really raw and honest song. So I'd like to look at one together this morning. It's Psalm 73. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can grab it and look. I'll also put the text up on the screen today, and we'll just walk through this psalm together. It's Psalm 73. It's written by a man named Asaph. There are 12 psalms in the Bible written by this man, Asaph. Most believe that Asaph was one of three men who were appointed by King David to be a worship leader in the temple. So you might think of Asaph as a, you know, thousand-year-before-Christ choir director or worship leader. So he's a professional proclaimer of the truth of God. He leads people into worship. That's what he does. He must have been a man of great faith. But it turns out he's also a man who struggled. And he writes some songs about that. Because on the shadow side of Asaph's real faith was Asaph's real doubt. And here's a song he wrote about it. It goes like this. It's Psalm 73. At least that's what we know it as. Begins like this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is the fundamental truth, right? This is where we begin. Surely God is good. He's especially good to his people, to Israel. If there's variances of his goodness, especially to those who are pure in heart. I mean, this is the starting point, is it not? This is what we assume, this is what we are told to embrace as the beginning point. This is how you share the message of the gospel. God is good, right? This is how the Bible starts. But then in verse 2, Asaph makes this remarkably vulnerable personal statement. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? 
Why Asaph? What happened? Here he launches into the first verse or the first movement of this song. And if you're taking notes, this psalm breaks out into movements. And you might, you might label this first movement something like, it's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be like this. Or maybe you just say, this is totally jacked up. This is a mess. And this is, he launches into it. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Asaph sings, from their callous heart comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongue takes possession of earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink it up. They drink up the waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. What's Asaph's specific trouble? It's that rotten people are healthy, wealthy, and happy. But what's his more general problem? His more general problem is that this isn't right. This is not the way it should be. This is totally messed up. Or put another way, what Asaph believes does not match up with what Asaph sees. And therefore, doubt confronts his belief. His mama told him that, mom, that, that wicked don't prosper. But he's been looking around and he's seen a lot of wealthy, wicked people. King David appointed him to lead the people into worship, proclaiming the truth and the love and the grace of God. But he's looking around, and he's not seeing a lot of evidence of that. Maybe your specific issue isn't the same as Asaph's specific issue, but I bet you can relate to Asaph's general observation that things aren't going the way they should go. It's a disaster. The powerful are corrupt. The weak suffer. Injustice is rampant. Listen, it's difficult to reconcile what I see happening in the world, all the pain and the suffering, with what I'm told to believe about God. Good and powerful. Okay, and then there's a second movement of the song, verses 13 and 14. It's short, but it's brutal. Essentially, Asaph is saying, if you want to label the second movement of the song, it's something like this. I'm doubting. I'm doubting everything. He says this in verse 13. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. What is Asaph feeling? What's the emotion here? Like, what's the point, right? What's the point? Why follow God? Why do good? Surely it's all been in vain. Surely it's been a big waste of time. He says in verse 14, All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. This is not some theoretical, hypothetical conflict. It's personal. He's like, I'm hurting. I feel like I'm cursed. Getting kicked down every day. It feels like God is punishing me. Some of you have shared these kinds of emotions with me. Will there be a break to this? When will, that, when will this be enough? Can God please cut us a break? It's been so long. It's taking so much time. How much pain are we expected to, to endure? Why isn't God helping me? And so there's the, this is not the way it's supposed to be verse. And then there's the, I'm doubting everything verse. 
And now it comes to the critical turning point of the song, and it's like a bridge. The chords change at this point. The song breathes for a minute, and Asaph says this, and I just love this. It's so insightful. It's so helpful to me. And friends, if you're doubting today, if you're struggling with what you, the, the conflict between what you believe and what you see, if you are living right now on the shadow side of the faith, if you cannot quite get through there, you need to listen to this because here's the way through. Here's how Asaph navigates the shadow side of faith, or in other words, here's how he gets through this time of doubt. He says three things. First, in verse 15, he says, if I, uh, if I said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, he's saying, if I share the honest truth about what's going on inside me, it's going to crush you. I'm the leader, I'm the mom, I'm the dad, I'm the only Christian friend. If I, if I transparently reveal the turmoil that is happening inside of my heart on the shadow side of my faith, it's going to crush them. They can't handle that. They look to me for security and guidance. So if I would have spoken thus, it would betray your children. But then in verse 16, he says the very next verse, when I tried to understand this, it was oppressive to me. In other words, if I don't share the honest truth about what's going on inside of me, it's going to crush me. If I act like it's okay, I'm just going to become this hollowed out pretender. So Asaph's in a real pickle. If I tell you how I'm doing, it might crush you. If I don't tell you how I'm doing, it might crush me. <laughs> and then and the third thing he says, and here's the key that unlocks the door. He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their destiny. Here's Asaph's point. When you're wandering around on the shadow side, the only way out is directly to God. The only way out. He doesn't deny that things are all messed up. They're totally messed up. He does not deny the reality of his doubts. He's totally doubting, but he's honest about both of these things. And then he takes his confusion and his doubt, and he takes it right straight to God. So three quick observations about this process that Asaph just sung about in the bridge of his song. First, Asaph is not talking about an isolated, individualistic, it's just you and me, God kind of spirituality. He's testifying to the power of entering the sanctuary of God. In other words, it's all about God, but we do this in the context of community. That's very important to see that this is not about an individualistic solution. Secondly, when Asaph says, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive um, to me, he uses a word for understand that's yada, which is an understanding that comes from perception or observation. In other words, when I try to make sense of what I'm seeing, makes no sense. It's oppressive to me. But then in the next verse, he says, I entered the sanctuary and then I understood. The word he uses for understand there is a different word, be in, meaning to discern or to be given the ability to make a distinction. In other words, when I entered the sanctuary, I was given clarity. It's not a clarity that comes from what I can see. It is a clarity that comes from something beyond what I can see. It is not a discernment that I can figure out on my own. It comes from something, someone else. And then third, clarity about what specifically, Asaph? What are you talking about? On their destiny, which sounds pretty intense because his specific issue is the wicked, and they seem to be doing so well. But you can also translate this, the, their destiny. You can also translate that, the destiny, or even the end. And so, 
He gets clarity on his specific trouble, but he gets greater clarity on just the bigger issue in general. In other words, the way things are going to work out in the end. So you might say, in a word, he gets perspective. He gets perspective. So, friend, you might be, you might be a mess today. You might be, you know, freaking out and have a really legitimate and good reason to. You might be really struggling with doubt this morning. Well, here's how to navigate through that real struggle according to the testimony of, of this writer of this psalm. It's to take it all to God. It's to worship God in the context of your community. Asaph's testimony, what he is really singing about is that, um, is that only then does he receive perspective that enables him to begin to regain and rebuild his faith and his trust in God. Amen? And in the rest of Asaph's song, he sings about how his faith, how this trust, how this perspective works out in three ways. In the fourth movement of the song, verses 18 through 20, Asaph sings about a renewed perspective on his troubles, on his specific trouble. In verse 18, he says, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? How completely swept away by terrors? As a dream, when one awakens, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. In other words, there's a, there's a temporary nature to my trouble. I will, there will come a day when I will look back on this very real trial, and it'll be like a fantasy, something that just kind of comes and goes. He's got renewed perspective on his troubles. It's not to say that his trouble isn't real. It's not to say that it isn't completely terrible. It's to say that in comparison to what's coming, your troubles are, in Paul's words, light and momentary. Not even worth comparing to an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, that's what Paul says. Next, so I got a renewed perspective on my trouble, and next Asaph sings about a renewed perspective on himself. Listen to this. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. It's kind of rough language. He's speaking to himself. He's basically saying, Asaph, you're an idiot. Or maybe in a more graceful moment, he's telling himself, I lost sight of the bigger picture. I lost sight of the bigger picture. I got lost in the shadows for a while. Why'd you get lost, Asaph? Because I was grieving. Because I was grieving. And my grief started to turn into bitterness. And I was like a brute. I was like a beast. Unable to sense any bigger reality. Right? And then finally, Asaph concludes his song with a renewed perspective on God. And here we see him, we hear him sing the truth, the truth with renewed passion. And if it would bless you, today I would sing this over you. But it wouldn't. (laughs) So let me just speak this final movement of Asaph's song over us to close. And may it affect your mind, but may it go right to your heart. And I just invite you to stand with me as I, as I speak this over you. <clears throat> and if you are, like I am, increasingly becoming, 
interested in a spirituality that affects everything, including your physical experience with this physical world, I invite you to just raise your hands out, open them up, open them down like a gift and just receive this. This is how this song ends. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Asaph is singing this to God. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. Remember, this is his specific struggle. He's basically saying, God will bring justice. Okay? God will make it right. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and then the doubting worship leader concludes with this. I will tell of your deeds. I will tell the truth. I will sing to you. And I'll just keep singing. I'm just going to sing truth and love right at the darkness. You're not going to shut me up. No amount of brokenness or confusion or disappointment will keep me down. I will join with my community and I will praise the name of the living God. I will trust that my understanding is limited. I am created. There is so much more going on than I can see and I will acknowledge that the creator of all things is good and in control and can be trusted with the things that are killing me right now. But I will stop I will never stop singing. Amen. And so, dear Lord, our flesh and our heart may fail, but who have we besides you? Where else are we going to go? Please have mercy on the doubters today, Lord. Deliver us through the shadows of our doubt into your glorious light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's really important that we, um, that we be the church uh, in the hard times. And so let's do that. And I want to invite you to turn to those who are around you this morning and introduce yourself or embrace those that you've known for a long time and remind them peace comes through Christ and just offer peace to them. Peace be with you. Praying for peace for you. We'll come back in, in a minute and we'll sing to the Lord. Amen? Amen? All right. May the peace of Christ be always with you. Thank you. Greet one another this morning. Let's embrace each other.